We're on a mission to help golfers from all over the world achieve their goals by understanding what it actually takes to play their best golf. We're talking with leading instructors, researchers, and players themselves to find what is actually working. Hey, thanks for joining us today. You are listening to one of our partner shows. It is the Tour Coach Podcast with Tony Ruggiero. He has some phenomenal guests on talking about teaching tour pros. He'll have his players on. Just always a great show. Today was another great episode. I want to share that with you here on the Golf Science Lab Podcast. Let's get into it. So here we are on the Tour Coach. Good to bring in here for the first time. He's been on my radio show many of the times. And, you know, Doc, going back, I think the first junior camps I ever did, which have kind of been some of the things I've kept doing through my career, you were part of. We've known each other a long time in the old teaching and psychology. It's definitely been a long time, and it's been a great journey. And I think back to where we started and what we're all doing now, it's quite amazing. It is. It really is. Who would have thought all the places, you know, you go back to that. I remember being on that teaching tee at the back of Sandestin there and some of those kids and all that. I mean, heck, half of them are married and all different things now it's been but who would have ever thought all but some of the places we would have all gone and had to you know opportunities to do it's been cool and been fun to also watch all the success you've had as you've gone to doing this uh and watch your star rise and I mean, you got a new book out now that's going crazy gangbusters uh talk a little about that and then i want to kind of get into one of the things i want to pick your brain on is i think the performance side and the mental side of the game more not only that but just mental health and well-being is becoming more and more important involved in what i do and i use it more and more as a focus making sure people get and whether they're juniors or college players or regular people have somebody like you to talk to than ever before i think it's an integral part of developing players is making sure that they're that they're healthy themselves as people well you're exactly right you know i think a lot of people think about the mental game and they just think it's like okay help me have more confidence or help me play in practice when in reality it's so much deeper than that it's the equivalent of saying like a strength coach is just there to stretch you um (laughs) or you know a coach is just there to help you with your putting i mean to me the best sports psychologists are the coaches they're the ones you guys are the ones with the players all the time you're the ones that are inputting and helping them find their level of success and the level of confidence as they grow. You know, when you look at what what I'm fortunate enough to get to do, I'm brought into somebody's dream, somebody's journey, and usually at a point when they're struggling, usually at a point when they're, um, things aren't going the way that they want them to go. And so getting to work within a team, to work with a coach that's been around that coach for some time and been around that player and knows the stressors and knows the triggers, but also knows how they function off the course What's important to them? Where's their sources of strength? Where's their, you know, what makes them happy? And what are the expectations and pressures they experience to help build a healthy foundation? Now, what you've talked about is exactly right. As we sit here ending 2021 and going into year 2022, we're on the brink of a mental health pandemic. And I'm not trying to alarm people, but you're right. <laughs> last, well, last night I was at a party and I was talking to a very high-profile athlete who's championed the mental health side for a long time. And we were just talking about how probably 50 to 60% of the athletes that I see, whether they're professional or college or youth, have a significant level of anxiety. And then you start adding in all the other pressures. What we're seeing is our kids are put under pressure at such a younger age to perform at a higher level to keep up with the Joneses. And we also have now isolated them for the last two years because of COVID. And mm-hmm. right, wrong, or indifferent, I mean, it's just a fact. 
And then we also have added in all the other pressures to be faster, better, quicker, sooner. And their comparison standards are not the people in their neighborhood. Their comparison standards are people across the world. And so they get on Instagram and they know everybody in their class and they know what other people are shooting. And as a result, and that pressure is so magnified for them that they don't give them, they don't, they don't know how to give themselves the grace to struggle. And so it's a very judgmental environment to be in. And so to your point, having a healthy foundation from a coach standpoint can start that groundwork and start that developmental process and then give them a chance to really dial in on the, on the physical, mental and, and the really emotional side. Yeah. You know, and I'll tell you what, I, doing this podcast for me has been interesting because I, as many as we have students, we have, hundreds and hundreds of coaches and teachers that listen and and we get lots of messages and i found i I did one recently not long ago we did some mental stuff dr greg carton was on with me and Mm -hmm. i I mean you know brett i I mean i think coaches are going through more of this now than than ever before and not i'm not this isn't a woe is me and whatever but like there's it seems to me with all the social media and the stuff out there every day, it's like there's this feeling like I've talked to you before in my career and, and other people, and there's this feeling like you've got to do more as a coach every day to stay competitive, and there's more pressures. And, and I think I think all across the board at, at what we're doing in this industry, well, probably and everywhere across the world, though, is there's more of a need to, to take a look at mental health and to figure out how to be happy you know, with yourself. Well, you're exactly right. So if we're a coach and we look at what one of our colleagues is doing on social media, the initial inclination is, ooh, cool. Why am I not doing that? Right. Right. And so then it becomes this, man, I'm falling behind. And so we never get in a spot where we can actually take a step back and say, wow, I'm good. Because not only that, then if you've got clients, you're worried about getting fired. Uh, You know, that's a very Uh normal thing. I don't know a coach out there that doesn't worry about getting fired. Um, yep, every and, day. Every day. And and so when you look at how we have to stay healthy and what we have to do, you're right. Mental, we've got to be in the best frame of mind that we can be for our players. We wouldn't want our surgeon to walk into a surgical operating suite in a, in a negative state of mind. Well, even though we're not doing life or death, it is the same approach. And we've got to be in a healthy state of mind to work with our players so that when they're needing us, we're at their best and we're at our best. And we're helping each and every person along the way perform at a level of being optimum performance. We're not talking sometimes about the bottom 5%. We're talking about the last 1% and 2% of human performance. Now, understanding the continuum because between 0 and 100% functioning is critical. If we understand why somebody's struggling, then we can also understand many times what that key to success is to break them free. You mentioned that we're getting ready to go into 2022, and it's that time of year everybody starts, I think, tends to look more inward and they start looking forward to next year. How do you help, like, you know, you, you deal with so many great players. And, and, look, you've had some huge years. You've had some guys have huge breakthroughs and, and all those things. How do you temper, like, how do you help people that have a bunch of success to where the expectations don't get too carried away for the next year? And then on the flip side, you know, heck, I mean, we have years where we all work our ass off and the guys don't play very good. And how do you help them look forward to the next year when they didn't have a good year? And and how are those approaches different? Well, you know, when somebody wins, right, there's immediate success and happiness and joy that they've had to break through. But then the next step is, okay, what's next? Okay, we've got to repeat that. Now, the pain of a struggle lasts a hell of a lot longer than the joy of a success because Mm -hmm. the initial thought process when somebody has success is, ooh, i got to do that again. Now i got to live up to that, which is greater pressure 
than when you didn't have it in the first place. Because not only are you trying to succeed, now you're trying to validate. And so one of the things that we always do, and, and I always work with players, and this is maybe some of my experience being around my coach who coached me in, in baseball or Coach Saban in football and being around that program for so long, is that we have to be willing to take on that challenge and that responsibility of being successful, right? Success doesn't open up any doors. It gives you more opportunities. It also brings more pressure, but it doesn't open any doors. It doesn't right. make anything easier. It actually makes things harder. So we as people have to be prepared for what that in- involves. Can we be willing to meet that challenge? Can we take the uncertainty? Can we take the doubts? Can we take the frustrations? Can we take the fears and say, you know what? These are okay. This is not, this doesn't have to be, this doesn't have to be a validation of who I am as a person because I'm going to struggle after having success. Instead, I need to look at this as a layer up on the mountain. How can I get on top of the mountain again? Or how can I get on top of another mountain and understand that the learning, the experiences, the processes that I've had to get to this point are all contributing to the, the person that I am? And win, lose, or draw. We don't want to ever change who we are. We want to stay true and, and authentic to ourselves to continue to drive what that inside of us. If we lose sight of that, the game will eat you up. But if you understand that at the end of the day, you know, one of the things I tell my players on tour quite often is, you know, when they're doing pro-ams, for instance, and everybody's <laughs> out there to play with them in a pro-am is, look, you forget that many times a lot of the people here on the pro-am are flying in on their own jet, and you're on the jet share. So don't forget where you stand sometimes in the food chain. You know, and, and it, it's it's important, and a lot of the guys get it, and unfortunately, my guys get it. But it's always a nice reminder to say, you know, this guy right here that you're playing with, he probably is doing this to support the charity and have a great time around you. But he may have a lot more world experience than you have. Yeah. Instead of feeling like you have to put on the show, why don't we put them on the platform and you learn everything you can about them? And as long as you stay hungry to that process, hungry to what it takes to be a repeat winner, what it takes to win two national titles or four national titles. You know, what does it take to have a coach that wins multiple times and continue to have that success? Then we switch the game from the burden and we put it back onto the learning opportunities and the game and the wisdom, the mm-hmm. growth of wisdom. And that's what's so important to me. You've obviously been some of the great coaches. I mean, obviously at LSU with Coach Bertman and obviously up at Alabama with Saban and, and all of the great ones you've been around. And you've been around so many of the great teachers and coaches in the game of golf now, obviously with Mark, Barrett Greystone. I mean, one of the best there is. Like, What are some of the common traits that you see or are there, are there common characteristics that they all have the the ones that are successful and the things that they do that you see that maybe separate them or that also, if you don't mind sharing, like the things that any person could pick up and learn from them that would that would improve whatever they're doing. You know, well, ain't it doesn't matter. So about a year and a half ago, I created a program called the Catalyst School, which is designed to help coaches across all sports become better catalysts for their players' success, and it's managers, parents, everything. And the way I looked at it is I always spell things out when I do it, but the number one thing of Catalyst is you've got to be connected to the people you lead. If you don't know your players, you don't know the people on your team, you don't know what makes them tick and doesn't tick, you're going to fail them immediately. Mm-hmm. The best coaches have relationships with their players. Now, people may look at this and say, oh, I watched Saban yell at people on the sidelines. What you're missing is why he's yelling at that player. But what right. we think is he's yelling at everybody. He's not. He's yelling at players because he's connected to them and knows why that person is motivated by that level of coaching. You don't see the people that he's put the arm around and he's, you know, told them, Hey, stick with it. It's going to happen. Right. We only see the, the one side that tends to catch attention. Second is you've got to assess and understand what makes them tick. Okay. What's their style? 
what makes them move, what makes them go. And you've got to understand, I think I give TPI a ton of credit for this. TPI has done an amazing job to look at the person first, not the system. Mm-hmm. What does the person do? What are their strengths or weaknesses? Well, in psychology, it's the same thing. Everybody has their own psychological fingerprint. So as a coach, you have to understand not only are you connected to them, but you got to know what makes them tick. you got to know how to develop their talent. you got to be accountable as yourself as a coach. you got to leave a legacy. Okay, you got to know as a coach your own system and philosophy. Coaches who don't have a system and philosophy written down in a binder and a notebook, you're guessing. So it would be like going into a, a top restaurant and the chef doesn't have any other recipes written down. Well, replicability is going to go out the door, and it's going to continually drift away from what made it excellent. You also have to be a spark for those individuals and be, be able to take people through chaos. As coaches, we always want people to have success, but we're aware of our greatest value is not when they're playing at their best. It's when they're struggling their most. Right. And that's where we have to, that's where we have to be there with them and stand every step of the way with them and versus, hey, look, I want to be up there in the highlight. That's why I have a really hard time of social media and self-promotion <laughs> that I see in my field in the mental side because everybody's posting all the really good stuff, but I never see the text messages or the, the sad moments afterwards or the angry calls that you get. I never see those. Like I see a lot of people in my field in the mental side taking credit across all sports, but I, I never see, hey, I really failed on this guy. Like, yeah, I keep waiting for the social media post one Monday that says, hey, had a good session last Monday with so-and-so, but they missed the cut by 12. I sucked yep. this week, <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, I had a I had a dinner with Jim McClain about a month ago, and it was the first time I'd ever sat down with Jim, and, and it was really insightful because he told a story about working with, it may have been Tom Kite, I can't remember, but he said he had come down and done some work with him. I think it was Kite. He said he'd come down and done some work with him at Doral, went out in the first round. The tournament was like seven over, six over par. And he said, oh, great, i got to go face the music now, right? So he said, I walked down to the range, and Tom's hitting balls. And he said, hey, Tom, he goes, hey, love what we're working on. It just, I just need a couple more reps. And he was like, <laughs> I was expecting to get just totally like, we're done. Give it a shot. Didn't work. We're out of here. And, and we get that a lot, right? Yeah. But what happened was Tom said, hey, it's just a rep thing. I got some good reps. I saw some good things. I just got to be better at that. Well, he ended up coming in top, he was top five that week because he just it hit. And that's what I think a lot of times as coaches, you know, we want and players want, and we have to temper expectations is most of the people want to fix. They don't want a long-term plan. And so it's like going to the doctor. You go to the doctor and you say, hey, you know, I need some help. And they say, listen, best thing to do is go on a six-month weight loss and exercise plan and come see me then. And you go, but that's not why I came in here. I came in here because my, my, my hips are hurting. Well, your hips are hurting because you're overweight. And you're not moving. But I could prescribe you an anti-inflammatory or you could go on a long-term health plan. Most you're people making are feel bad now. Well, me too. But most people are going to most people are going to leave because they didn't get the answer they wanted. When the truth is, a great coach gives the answer that that person needs to hear at the right time when they're connected to them. If you're truly connected to your player, then you absolutely know why and what to tell them at the right time. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I had a young player, really good college player, called me uh, the other day and said, "Hey, you know, I think I may want to go get another opinion." And I said, okay, well, you know, that's fine. Do what you want, you know, do what you need to do. I said, but now you just had one of the best semesters you ever had. Got all, you know, and I said, you're, you're overreacting to a bad three weeks of golf. And yep. I said, you need to go, but you need to understand the ramifications of what you do. You start taking more info and you change everything. And he was like, man, I, I appreciate you being honest. I really didn't expect you to be that blunt or direct. <laughs> but, like, yeah. I think that's part of what we do as coaches. And, and I would love you. I think that the hardest part, like, I'm an excitable person. You know, we've been around each other. I love to have fun. I think mm-hmm. the hardest part 
and what makes people good coaches is when the thing gets going really bad, the ability for the player to feel like a calmness and that you feel confident. Yeah. So I always say as I'm getting ready to board a flight here as we're doing this call, the um, you know I, the pilots always walk around the plane before they you know before they take off, right? I mean, while you're boarding, there's usually one of the pilots that walking around, and their job is to demonstrate not only what's testing the you know, taking a look at what they need to take a look at, but they also want to give a sense of, of calm preparedness. Imagine if we were getting on an airplane and it was thundering and the <laughs> pilot was nervous and biting his fingernails or her fingernails and the, the, you know, the flight attendants were in an upset way. Nobody would feel calm. They're trained to show calm under pressure. Well, as coaches, it's okay to say, you know what? I don't know. I don't know right now, but I know where to find the answer, but I got to think. And I think if you can be that connected to the player, and even as a parent who will call, I've had a parent call me and say, look, you've had no success with my player and whatever. And then he went out one of the next three tournaments, okay, after he fired me. And I was like, well, that didn't go away. I mean, we, we all know yeah. people who do that on tour. I mean, sometimes it was the fact that it was just a timing thing. Sometimes it was maybe not having to be, you know, responsible or accountable to me, freed him up. Who knows what it was? But as coaches, as parents, you know, and this is important for our parents who listen to this. So let's use golf, for example. You're not hidden within a crowd of 10,000 fans. That being said, when I pitched in the World Series, in the College World Series, I could hear my dad's whistle in front of 25,000 people. So imagine what we do when we, when our kids look over to us on the side after hitting a bad shot and you're sitting there looking disgusted and angry. How do you think they're going to feel? Well, they're 100% going to feel frustrated. They're going to feel like they let you down. Well, with coaches, you know, sometimes the less is more and showing them that we can take them through the chaos. We can take them through the struggle. We can take them through those things to spark them, to help them understand that they are not alone here, that we can help them. And that's a quiet confidence that I think the best coaches have. You take There's, a, there's an amazing video on NFL films about the uh, New England Patriots when they won the Super Bowl when Malcolm Butler intercepted the pass on the two mm-hmm. lines against the Seahawks. And they're showing the lead up to it. And there's a great story about building process and trusting your team and things like that because Brown, uh, Brandon Browner moved Malcolm Butler up right before the play. It was a drill that they had been practicing. But right as the lead-up was going on, all the coaches in the box were you know, radioing down to Belichick saying, Coach, we need to take a timeout. Coach, we need to take a timeout. And he said, I got it. We got this. And it was just this sense of calm of let's see how this plays out. And that's what sometimes the best coaches, the best leaders can do. Look, I'm going to be at the helm. We got this. I'm going to be your co-pilot. I'm going to be your navigator. It may be hard right now, but we're not, I'm not going to leave you alone in this. And I will stand every step of the way with you. And I think as coaches, that's what we have to do because that's a shared confidence, but it's also a shared resiliency that we have to demonstrate to our teams and our players and our coaches and our, and our athletes that sometimes we, we probably overlook because, you know, I think in this game, we're all looking for the biggest success that we can, but sometimes we just really need that extra little push to say, we've got this in the, in the storm. How do we explain to the young people coming up and to the students that not reacting and not panicking and not every, I mean, that jumping around, and that's not just self-serving because I'm a coach, but I've benefited from people jumping to me too, right? Like we've all had it go both ways. But at the same time, I've I've told several players that have come to me over the last couple years, like, I mean, like, why are you leaving? Like, Mm -hmm. you played pretty dang good. You know, like, how do we help, or is this just a cultural thing, Brett, that, like with the social media and the want now that we're never going to be able to 
you know, we're never going to be able to combat that. But, like, to get people to understand that, like you said, it's a process and that staying with what you do and that continuity is valuable. Because I think for me as a teacher, that's one of the hardest things in this culture to combat. Well, it's more circumstantial or societal. If we take a look at the younger generation right now, and listen, they're more innovative and faster thinkers than we've ever seen. Okay, that's important to say. So this is not bashing the young generation. But speed is important. Having to go through the storm, having to be patient, is usually a sign that they ha- they're not doing it right or they're not good enough. We looked at resiliency for years as a strength when, in fact, resiliency for this generation is often like, well, why would I have to do it if I was good? So what we're seeing more and more is we're seeing a group of athletes that the transfer portals at an all-time high of players transferring if they don't get the evidence or the success or the trust that they want early on. And and so I always tell coaches is that trust it used to be that somebody would come see you, they'd go play for a coach, and they'd say, I trust this coach for at least two or three years, and I'm going to give them a chance. Now they walk in and they say, Coach, what are you going to do for me? It's not about what can I do for you. It's what are you going to do for me because I have options, I have resources, and I have availability. And so you have to trade and barter in that trust on a daily basis to find out what's important to them. If they're seeing other people succeed and they're having a continued level of impatience, they got to make a change in their mind because their colleagues, the recruits, their coaches, their college coaches, you know, all of them are giving them a hard time as well as, hey, if I want to do this for a living, I shouldn't be struggling as a junior in school because people have told me that I've got to win my junior and senior year in school. Well, you know, they don't realize what their truth is. And so we put all these unrealistic expectations. I've listened to college coaches all day long say, this is what I need for a scoring average. Well, it beats everybody on their current team. Yes. So, I mean, it's, it's like we can sit there and say that all day long, but we have to, as coaches, understand that it's inherent in the youth of this team. And I always, and of this generation, I always say this, give a kid at five an iPad and watch how fast they flip between YouTube channels. They don't stick with anything very long because their, their impatience is so high, their need for constant stimulation is so high, and they don't allow things to prosper and grow. They want the success immediately. And so because of our social media, because of our media, because of the devices, because of all that other stuff, we are just, we have put everything on a, on a blast. And it's got to be done sooner, faster, and quicker. Yeah, it's a hard part. It's it's hard. It's challenging doing doing yeah. what what we do. I think. And, and and but again, I mean, I think that's I guess part of the challenge is growing with the times. And you know, I look at uh, you know every day. You and I both started. I worked for a guy, Hank Johnson, who was a great teacher. And I mean, uh, we could do a separate podcast and mental evaluation on me for that one. But you know, I look the older I get, some of the things that he would say and stuff that I thought were crazy back then make more sense to me now <laughs> but yeah. uh but you know but i also at sometimes i see as you get i'd be like well why do you get so frustrated with some of the younger stuff and now you realize it is a challenge i think every generation must have gone through this to a certain extent maybe not as much as it is now well every generation is going to change off the previous one and most coaches are going to be stuck in the previous one that's why when you see coaches reinvent themselves and so what we see in you know in the golf teaching world right is is we saw an explosion of social media-based coaches, right, who built mm-hmm. an amazing following in a brilliant manner and grew a very cool educational platform who rose to prominence. And right. rightfully so. They saw a channel to get to people who couldn't normally get to them. They delivered on a concept that was usually very difficult. And if you would ask older teachers, they'd say, well, I need six sessions with you to make it happen. Well, these coaches figured out a way, hey, in a 20-minute online video review, I can help you make that same change because 
they have found a way to break through some of the traditional paradigms. Well, as a result, players are also expecting that too. So if you're not as a coach that is not on the leading edge, okay, if you're not either you have to have one or two things, you got to be on the leading edge of innovation or you have to have, be so wise to see so many different things that you offer value greater and above that. Coach Saban has continued to evolve as a coach. He's now got a high-powered offense. And if you had told him that 20 years ago, he would have laughed at you and said, what, yeah. defense doesn't win championships. My coach was a pitching coach. He, he was an Olympic pitching coach. He was an Olympic head, you know, head coach. And he built his entire team on pitching. Well, near the end of his tenure, they became home run hitters. And he called it gorilla ball because he felt that the evolution of the game was moving towards the home run and the big three-run home run, the Earl Weaver way, versus going out there and winning a 5-2 to two ball game. He said, I'd rather put up 12 runs versus four. And so you have to evolve and understand that. And once we stop evolving, then it's time for us to get out of the game. And so, you know, right now in the mental game, you're seeing a bunch of, you know, the neuro-based stuff, the neurofeedback and all that. It's been, it's cycled through before. It'll cycle back out again. It's, it's the hot topic. What's the next thing? Well, the pyramid or the iceberg that we see in the mental game is much deeper. That's why you're seeing more and more clinicians move into it, more and more scientists moving into it, because we are just really breaking free of what this connection is to you as a coach. And assume probably in the next five years, we'll be able to say what players respond to you and which ones don't. And, and that would say a lot of people's things. I mean, we'll be able to know, like, hey, what, the way you coach and the way you teach, your, your neighbor, this isn't good for this guy or girl. Whereas, you know, you've got somebody else and they're brilliant for them. And then there's a certain one that matches you perfect. So instead of having to go through multiple iterations of failing, we can better match you immediately with somebody and get you to ha- have a higher level of success. Well, we've done that with body fitness. We've done that with club fitting. Why won't we do that on, on you know, genotyping or phenotyping in the mental game? It's all coming. And so we're just scratching the surface of this entire topic of what we're talking about. And we're seeing it. A lot of it tends to come out of like the soccer or the football world, like European football. And you're seeing right. it continuing to emerge more and more here in the States of better matching, better understanding versus the old school idea of feel good. Here's the motivational quotes and the coach, you know, hitting you on the rear end saying, go get them slugger. It's more along the lines of how do we build somebody to believe that they're ready for anything they're going to face based on the tailored teaching that we put them through. Yeah. It's awesome stuff. I've always thought too, that one of the, one of the keys to being a successful golf coach and teacher is like at the tour level is, is matching with the right students. If you gave, you gave me a guy, like you gave me Bryce and DeChambeau, I probably wouldn't do near the, anything close to what Chris Como's done. But like, if I get the right person that's the right match, I'm going to have success. I think that's a really important part of what we do. Of course. And, and, you know, that's why I always tell people when they're going to a coach, you're not marrying them. Right. And, you know, you, you don't have to marry them. What you have to do is understand what is it that you want out of the relationship with that coach. And if a player can't tell you that we got a problem, if it's, you know, this is what I'm struggling with and I need help. Okay. That's very clear. It's like walking into the emergency room and saying, Hey, I've got an issue here. I need some help. If you're instead walking in saying, I don't know why I'm here. I just stopped playing good. Well, not only are you setting up the player for failure, you're setting up the coach for failure too. And that's an issue. We instead have to be different. We have to look at it and say, what is it that we're trying to do over a short period of time? And what is a realistic outcome that we can measure? If we can't do those two things then we don't need to be the right match. I think that goes for every walk of life, don't you? I mean, I think everybody listening to the stuff you've talked about, it doesn't matter what you do. I think it, it's prevalent in everything. Yeah, that's why I think people, you know, if you don't understand, you know, sometimes people take jobs, they get in a job and they realize, ooh, 
ooh, don't like this culture. <laughs> you know, it's not that the culture is bad. It may be right for somebody else, but for me, this is a bad match. Or, right. you know, you take a look at me. Bryson is a perfect fit for Chris Como. They're, they're perfect to intellectuals. They're very, you know, high-level, upper-surface stuff. He's not going to be out there painting pictures with ball flight. You know, yeah. he's not going to be out there carving it up into the mountains. You know, he's instead one to hit it as hard as he can. And so, yeah. you know, and that's what Chris is great at. And, you know, Chris is, Chris is fascinated by new frontiers, and Bryson's always wanting to push new frontiers. So I think one of the things we have to do is to be accountable to ourselves as a coach, too, and say, what is it that I want? You're not right for everybody. I'm not right for everybody. Nobody's right for anybody. Everybody. So instead, what we have to do is find out what is we are, what we are good at, and then who can we refer to when it's not us. And I think I think in the next five or ten years, even on the PGA Tour, you're going to have people. We're going to have people who are coaching. You know, you're going to have a player out there who's going to have two or three swing coaches, and you'll have somebody who's on the road, somebody who's at home. I've got one player who does that, and they all work together because the person who's on the road is not making massive changes, and the mm-hmm. person at home is the one that's doing all the data analysis and data collection. And so, you know, it, it, it works together, but it also allows the player to say, when I'm out here, I'm not trying to make massive wholesale changes. When I'm on tour, we're just trying to take, we're just trying to get the last little squeeze out of the orange. But when they're at home, they're doing all the measurement, they're, they're back in their lab and they're doing their work. And I think that's what you're going to see is five, you know, players with, I mean, I was, I'm just leaving Phoenix right now. We party for one of my players last night and there were seven to eight coaches there. You know, we all have different roles. We all have different processes. But it works for that player, and it works for us because we all know our roles. That's so important, knowing your roles and knowing the lane you stay. And Colby, to you, I know you know mm-hmm. really well. Colby and I talk about that all the time. We always talk about the best teams that we've been on. Everybody knows their roles and knows what their job is. Doc, I know you got to catch a plane. Before we go, talk a little bit about the book and where people can get it. The reviews are phenomenal, and I, and I know as long as I've known you, I know it's going to help a lot of people. Well, thank you. The book was written because, you know, I started looking at what was the trend that people come to see me for. And it's usually people are coming to me because they're struggling, and they're struggling with something. And usually it's an unrealistic understanding. It's an unrealistic belief of what they should be doing. So people sit there and they say, you know, I should be better than this. And while there's some truth to that, the more that you believe that you're falling short, the more you believe you're falling short of your potential, the more frustrated you get. And you can never see success. Well, the reason for that is as you improve today, you move your potential for tomorrow up. And so you're always going to be falling short of it. You're never going to hit it. And so this book, Break Free from Chucksville, is a way to change your mental perspective. It's written for all sports. It's not just golf. It's straight for life, too, where people can go in and take a look and say, what is it that I need to do to make the changes in my life and the way I think and the people I put around myself and the processes that I build instead of focusing on potential, which is a nebulous that I'll never hit, let's put on improving every single day. You'll never hit your potential as a player, ever. Because all you'll do is if you won three masters, you want to win four. And so, yep. you know, it's, it's, it's understanding that your reality is the key to your success, not your potential. Doc, awesome stuff. Thanks, as always, for making time for me. Keep up all the great stuff. I and mean, appreciate all the years you let me hang out. And uh, we'll look forward to catching up. I'm sure we'll see each other at a tour event soon. You got to see you on the road. 